This morning, uh, we are in week seven of our Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course, and um, well done, everyone. We are, this is the, the, the home stretch. We've got one more Sunday to go, and then we are going to celebrate with great joy the end of the Emotionally Healthy course and also the end, effectively, of Term 3. And summer is on its way, hallelujah. And uh, we're talking to a lot of people about what God's been doing in their lives as we've been going through this course. And uh, a lot of people have been like, I'm glad we did it in the middle of winter when it's a bit rats anyway. <laughs> and I have fair enough, you know, it's like no one wants to be dealing with this sort of stuff as we head into a lovely another Hawke's Bay summer. But it's a lovely thing for us to take this journey together where we really uh, make the, the, the commitment to grow in Jesus uh, and to be shaped by him and to learn what it means to be his apprentice more and more and more. So we are looking at, uh, at this uh, lovely subject this, uh, as we come into land uh, in these next couple of weeks about growing into an emotionally healthy adult, which is actually, uh, the whole course has been about this, but what does it look like for us to have maturity, not just spiritually, but also emotionally? Uh, one of the great privileges of being a pastor, and I've been in full-time ministry now for, um, I lose count, I think it's either 16 or 17 years at this sort of point, it's sort of a lot, uh, a long time. And one of the great privileges of being a pastor is that you get to be with people uh, who are dying. And so I've taken lots, from, from my sprightly age of 38, I've taken lots and lots of funerals, um, some of them more tragic than others, uh, as you can imagine in this day and age. But it is honestly, hand on heart, one of the greatest privileges of being a pastor is to be with people in those sort of moments. I remember talking to um, a funeral director uh, in uh, Christchurch. In fact, it was a woman who uh, was employed by the uh, funeral services to play the piano or the organ at funerals. So I used to see her all the time at these funerals. And, uh, and her friends thought, oh man, you must have the most depressing job in the world, <laughs> that your job is to play at funerals, you know. And she's like, it's the opposite. It's the most incredible privilege. And she, she was, said exactly what I, we were saying together. Like, it's such a privilege to hear the stories of people. And to, uh, but also, it's a privilege because in that moment, it's crystal clear about what really matters in life. They're the moments of greatest clarity. You know what I'm talking about. Most of you know what I'm talking about. You've been uh, either with the death of a rally or someone close to you, and it's like all of a sudden you're like, there's so much in life that does not matter, and there are certain things that really do matter, and you have unbelievable clarity about what those priorities should be. Amen? Right? It's just like, flat, what, you know, with all the stress about this stuff, and it's like, what matters? And, and normally what bubbles to the top are relationships. What matters as loving God and loving others. And it's interesting because when Jesus, in Matthew 22, 34 to 40, Jesus says this, hearing that Jesus had been silenced by the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. There's all these different tribes, different kind of groups within the Jewish religion, and there was like Pharisees and Sadducees, and so uh, Jesus kind of was sparring with a lot of them, and so he silenced the, the Sadducees, and so then the Pharisees got together and said, how can we pin this guy to the wall? Because he was rocking their religious kind of world, and he didn't, they didn't like that. So one of them, an expert of, in the law, tested him with this question, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied without stopping for a second. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus takes the entirety of the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, and he says, you can boil it down to this. 
All that matters. This, the heart of the matter is that we would love God with everything that we've got and that we would love our neighbour as ourselves. And so these are, the, these are the most important priorities. And uh, if we go to the next slide, you can see the way that these all uh, flow into each other here. Uh, they all relate to each other. And I want to make sure that we understand that there's three commandments to love in here, not just two. One of the commandments is to love ourselves as we seek to love others. And that's what we're going to be mining into today. But just quickly, um, the command to, to love God it's interesting in what Jesus says here because it's not just a passive love. It's not just a love received, but it's, this is about us choosing to love God. And uh, one of the things that you just I'm not going to stop talking about is the centrality in the Christian life of having a strong devotional world. And I know that people are sick of me banging on about this, but I'm sorry I'm going to bang, I'm going to bang on about this till, the, till my last breath, I think. I'm going to get my pom-poms out because the, there's been a battle that's been on in our, in our world about this area of our life. And I'm just saying, let's fight for it. With, with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, with all that is in with, say, you are my priority, Jesus. I'm going to have, I'm going to abide in you, remain in you. I'm going to choose you. I'm going to sit with you. I'm going to allow the life that you have flow through my very veins veins as I choose to be with you every day. You don't have to be perfect to sit with Jesus. You don't have to be spotless to sit with Jesus. All you have to be is willing to be with the one that loves you. You don't run away from the one who can make you clean. You run to the one who can make you clean if you're feeling a bit grubby. We've got to boldly approach the throne of grace. We all have tough days. And this is isn't for super Christians. This is normal behavior, is that we sit with Jesus every day. So I'm once more got my pom-poms out saying, go, you're hanging out with Jesus. You can do it. Please don't give up. If you've fallen off the wagon this week, just make today the day you get back on the wagon. To say, screw you, devil, I'm back on the wagon. Oh, you're not going to keep me off the wagon because that's the, li- it's the life. It's life when we choose to be with him. Remain in me and you will bear much fruit. And so I want to encourage you to, to do that because it all hinges from there. I know that many of you guys have been going through deep water, painful, it's been a painful turn for the, large, the vast majority of you as you've looked at your history and your family influence and all that sort of stuff. I'm telling you, without hanging out with Jesus, it's very difficult to move into places of wholeness and healing. He's the one that sets us free. I love counseling. I'm in counseling all the time. But, but Jesus, the Holy Spirit's my ultimate counselor. He's the one that's, that's brought revelation, that's brought healing. And it's worth fighting for those habits. You can do it. Now, I've talked a lot about this. It doesn't have to be an hour, eight minutes. Well, I don't care. Whatever. Anyway, we're going to just keep, keep banging on about this and make this a big focus of our church. Um, but the religious leaders, this is go to this next quote here, uh, Cass. The religious leaders of Jesus' day, this is from Peter Scazzaro's book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. The religious leaders of the day, the church leaders of that time, didn't make the connection between loving God and loving others. They were diligent, diligent, zealous, and absolutely committed to having God as Lord of their lives. They memorized the entire books of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That wasn't the hardcore Jewish. That was the normal Jewish. It was the people that were the best of the best that went from there to maybe be rabbis. So if you are part of a Jewish community, you think I'm tough on you. Honestly, I'm gentle on you. If you're in the Jewish thing, the expectations, you'd have that memorized. Talk about getting into the word. So these guys did this. They prayed five times a day. They tithed their income. They gave money to the poor. They evangelized, but they never delighted in people. They did not link loving God with the need to be uh, with the need to be diligent. 
diligent, zealous, and absolutely committed to growing in their ability to love people. And for this reason, they criticized Jesus repeatedly for being a glutted and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He delighted in people and life too much. Good line. Love that. I mean, what a good reputation, right? He knows that he hangs out the wrong crowd. So love God and love others as you love uh, love yourself. Before we jump on to the loving others, but I really want to look at this um, this dynamic here of loving uh, of loving ourselves. You are a person who's broken and sinful and needs mercy and grace. But the paradox of the gospel is that you are also a person who's fearfully and wonderfully made. It's both equally true. Uh, Tim Keller uh, says this, uh, Cass, if you want to go to the next slide, I love this statement. We are more sin- this is the gospel as far as Tim Keller is concerned. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, yet at the same time we are more accepted and loved in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. What a great line. Like you, it's the both. So here's the great news this morning. You're worse than you think you are. Yay. You know those socks that you put on this morning? Some poor person in China is in slavery making them for you, you know? So like, you didn't even think about that, did you? It's like, okay, you're worse than you think you are, so be encouraged. But I love it. But the ultimate truth is that you're more accepted and loved in Jesus than you ever did hope. Like your experience of God's love, of the love of Jesus, is actually way smaller than the reality. That is the simple truth. Like the gospel is always better than you've just realised. I'll say that again. The gospel of Jesus Christ is always better than you've just realized. That revelation that you have about how loved you are, those beautiful moments of clarity when you realize it's true, it's even better than that. It's bigger than that. It's wider than that. It's deeper than that. That is the simple truth. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. That's how loved you are. It's just extraordinary. And so even in our sinful, flawed place, we've got to have Jesus' perspective here. Listen, folks, you are human. And there's a lot of related vulnerability that comes with being human. There's lots of, it's just easy to make mistakes. It's easy to do things we're not proud of. You are human and you make mistakes. And he knows that. He knows that. And he, uh, and what I want to say this morning, if you hear nothing else, I'd love you to hear this. Is this, please be gentle on yourself. Just be really gentle on yourself. Be kind to yourself. I mean, I'm, we're, we're going to pursue wholeness. We're going to hug the cactus. We're going to deal with our past. But even in that, we're going to be gentle on ourselves. You've made mistakes. You've had stuff happen to you that wasn't fair or right, but you are desperately loved by God through it all. And that's why it's so important that we sit with Jesus because when we sit with Jesus, we hear his voice through the chaos often of our minds. You're loved, you're precious, you're wonderful, you're beautiful. Some some of the women need to hear that. You know, you're beautiful, you're wonderful. Some of the dudes need to know that you don't have to try hard (laughs) to be a dude. (laughs) Just be you. As weird as you are, you're desperately loved. And over time, in spite of our flaws and our sinfulness, in fact, often through the awareness of them, we discover how loved we are. And in turn, we can then love others more freely and more willingly. This is what we are pursuing here. 
And so it's both, friends. It's both. It's just the reality that there's a lot to work through, but there's also this, this, the, the, the rock, the truth that you are desperately, desperately loved. So please be kind to yourself. Please be gentle on yourself. Please give yourself some margin. Just, it's okay. You're not going to be sorted out by the end of this year. I know some of you are trying really hard to get yourself completely worked out so that you can just go into Christmas going, all right, job done. But I'm sorry, friends. The journey, one day we will see his face and he will bring the work to completion. Hallelujah. Until that day, we get transformed from glory to glory. And that's not easy, but it's a lifelong journey. So we need to run the race like it's a marathon, not like it's a sprint. It does require effort. But, and also there's the ebb and flow in it, you know? Like we are coming to the end of the emotionally healthy course. And for most of you, I'm like, just take it super easy over the holidays. Like intentionally as a church over the school holidays, even if you don't have kids in school, we just dial it back. It's DVDs for the kids in kids' church. It's like bare bone Sunday stuff. We, we, we've got a rule that says no meetings during school time unless you're desperately keen to socialise or whatever. We just let's dial it back and then we're going to go into turn four. We're going to look through the, the book of Ephesians to help shape us as a worshipping community. And then we're going to hit into summer. Again, let's take our foot off the gas pedal and it's about I mean, Sabbath, we looked at that last week. It's about being gentle on yourself, just knowing that you've got limits. You should have some stuff to look forward to. You should enjoy the summer. We stop church, you know, in terms of Sunday stuff over summer, and we're going to make that probably a habit. We take a sabbatical where it's like, you know, if your faith can't handle that, really sorry, but we're out. <laughs> we're at the beach, you know, and we may get together to socialise. But be gentle on yourself here. Uh, but then let's, let's talk uh, in, in some depth around what it doesn't mean for us to be emotionally mature, particularly in how we love others. In Hebrews 6 verse 1, it says this, Let us therefore move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. That's what we're going to pursue here. We're going to pursue maturity. The basic stuff, there's a basic gospel message that we've got to get our heads and hearts around. And there's a basic practice uh, in terms of apprenticeship to Jesus, of being with him. Uh, but we want to move beyond that to places of great maturity. Uh, where we become more like him. Colossians 1, 28 to 29 says this, Here's the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I love this passage. The job of the pastor is that one day I can say to God, well, God, here's Bay Vineyard Church. And, and I present them to you, mature in Christ. Aren't they great? Now, guys, don't, I don't want to look like an idiot in that moment with Jesus. I really, it's a little nervous here. You know, I don't want to be like all these kind of, again, I don't want a whole lot of 50-year-old Christians who are just one-year-old Christians 50 times. I want people who are deep, people who are filled with the love of God, who have sat with Him and marinated in His love so much that they start to smell like Him. That's the dream. And so I love this passage because Paul, uh, and it feels like this sometimes, I feel the battle. I feel the battle as a pastor where it's like, you know, there's an enemy that does not want you to be mature, does not want you to have depth, that, does, that wants to distract you into just spiritual oblivion, which is what is happening so much in our culture. And I'm like, no, I'm going to strenuously contend, me and the team and all that, we're going to strenuously contend so that we can present folks mature in Him. It's the fight of our lives and game on. And we're not going to do it the world's way, we're going to do it the King's way. So that the kingdom gets built the king's way because I'm tired of seeing churches get built on the world's values. Rush and stress and just, and it's like you're going to bleed to keep the flag red and all that. We're going to build the kingdom the king's way. 
And the king's ways and with rest and with margin and it's filled with peace. But at the same time, there's a battle that's on and we're going to fight that battle so that we can discover more of his love and grow into maturity in him. Amen? So here's uh, what Peter Scazzaro in his book uh, outlines what emotional maturity looks like for adults. The first thing, uh, Cass, if you want to get up there, is uh, emotional mature adults are able to ask what they need, want, or prefer clearly, directly, and honestly. Good line. So often, you know, sometimes we can battle with um, the, the martyr thing where it's like we do, like, the pretend agreements. This is a classic example, pretend agreements. You know those times when you're like, yeah, yeah, no, no, I'll help out. But inside you're like, no, 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 I don't want to help out. But yeah, no, no, I'll be able to do that extra shift, sweet as. And inside you're like, no, 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 I really don't want to do that extra shift. That's a pretend agreement where you say yes, but you think no will mean no. Uh, and so again, a maturity is just, been, now sometimes, of course, you're going to have to negotiate, but I'm not trying to, you know, crikey, everyone's going to quit the rosters if I bang on about this too much. But it's like, <laughs> but resentment can build when we have those pretend agreements, when we say yes, but we're actually meaning no. Uh, and then we can have a victim or a martyr complex and it gets just tricky and we get passive-aggressive and all the rest of it. Uh, emotional maturity for adults means that we can recognise, manage and take responsibility for our own thoughts and feelings. I, I really like the emphasis on this course around this. To be able and just to start to recognise what we're feeling. Now for some of us guys, this is a real tricky thing. I struggle to feel from the neck down sometimes and I'm like, what is this weird feeling? When uh, I fell in love with Jen, which I discovered later was me falling in love, it was like, what what is this weird feeling? I've been in ministry and single for so long, and it was like, what is this weird vibe I've got? I feel really, ee. and my mate, I think you're falling in love with Jen. Oh, okay, that's uh... sometimes uh, when we we recognise those feelings, we need to uh, take responsibility again for them. I need a nap, or I'm hangry. Come on, come on, who gets hangry? Where it's like, you know, just give them the chocolate or whatever it takes, and just. Um, or, or I'm racked up. I'm feeling racked up right now. And, you, and again, it's not a sin to process anger. It's just about where that anger gets processed. That can be often the issue where it can, you know, anger's fine. It's about where it gets vented. And so, uh, yeah, you know, I've got a few stories there that I'm not going to share. Uh, there was one time in the car. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. But the good thing is, though, I got the anger out and there was no one else in the car. And I'm like, anyway, whatever. Can, when under stress, state their own beliefs and values without becoming adversarial? It's interesting, um, you know, what's happening online these days with how um, it's just become this very toxic, toxic environment where people are losing the ability to be able to spar face-to-face on issues and people hide behind social media and all that sort of thing. And it's like, you know what? We need to learn to have robust debates and dialogue and conversations once more in our small groups and in our churches and all that, in our marriages, whatever it may be, uh, and just be able to, to, to do that without it becoming this kind of, where we debate the issue, not the person. Um, and particularly when it comes to theological things, I want to underline that the, the hills that we should be racked up about are doctrinal things around particularly the creeds. That's the stuff that matters. The creeds are there for a reason. The Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed were written by the early church because it was like, these are the things we are literally prepared to die for. Everything else, just about everything else is flavor or opinion 
or it's, uh, it may be acceptable for one person and not another because of your history or whatever it may be. But we need to dial down the passion on the non-negotiables, uh, sorry, on the negotiables and, and increase our passion for the non-negotiables. It's the creeds that matter. And so I don't care whether you're Catholic or Baptist or whatever, I think you're awesome. <laughs> and it's because we can agree on the creeds, hallelujah. And the minute we start veering away from that stuff into liberalism, particularly around virgin birth or resurrection or whatever, that's when there's a line that I'm like, whoa, that's we need to work that stuff out. Respect others without having to change them. This is, this is a big one in the course, right? Who struggled with this? Where it's like, we've said from the beginning at the course, you're not to fix other people. Oh, man, I found this liberating as a pastor. I'm like, all the best, guys. I'm not going to try and fix you. For this emotionally healthy cause, I'm going to just be me and good luck, God, while you try and sort out Alan, you know, or whatever it may be. And so, um, <laughs> pick the guy that's on my board for wise move, Harvey. Um, and, and honestly, guys, let's continue to encourage people to meet with Jesus rather than kind of having these weird conversations where we're trying to fix everyone. Now, it's different than discernment. I'm constantly trying to discern where you guys are at. Where's our church at? Where's that person at? What would help them? That's discernment and because I want to cheer you on, but I'm not going to fix you because God's the only one that can fix you. How's he going to do that? When we learn to sit with him every day and be transformed into his image, that's how he's going to bring us into healing or wholeness. But we're going to allow people, we're going to give people room uh, to make mistakes and to not be perfect. We're going to have a grace for people. We appreciate people for who they are, the good, the bad, and the ugly, not for what they give back. Good line. That's the next one, I think, Cass. Wakey, wakey. Great sermon, clearly. Um, not for what they give back. Uh, often, uh, we can feel it when this is the case, where you just know that you're a battery that fulfills a task rather than the person who's valued for who you are. You know, in workplaces, sometimes that dynamic can take place where you're just like, oh man, I've got to tune it out just to, you know, and I'm just a, I've, I've experienced you know, churches where it's like your values and what you produce, not in who you are, you know. And it's like, no, let's just be people that have a deep emotional maturity where we see the God, the God in everyone. They're shaped and created in the image of God. They have infinite worth. They're precious. They're amazing, even while they make mistakes, even while they, uh, they, they act like Muppets. Um, uh, we can accurate, uh, maturity is accurately assessing their own, uh, your own limits and strengths and weaknesses and are able to freely discuss them with others. Oh, love. this is so good. This is pastor's ecstasy attack material, to be honest, because... Um, there's nothing that makes life more tricky when people think they're good at something they're not actually good at and no one's had the guts to tell them or they don't have the self-awareness to go, you know what, mate, you know, you probably shouldn't be playing the piano, Luke, because that's just not your lane or your sweet spot. And it's like, you know, I appreciate you've been begging me to get on the team, but, you know, actually it's about time you got some emotional maturity and realised you cannot play the piano. Uh, it would save us a whole lot of pain. But also I, there's the freedom that comes when you know who you are in Christ. You are not, uh, you are different than the person sitting next to you. You've been wired differently and there's nothing more freeing than accepting the way that God has made you. This has been such a big journey for me. I have spent my life trying to be somebody I'm not. In fact, we're having a conversation earlier. I've made this absolute determination. Someone's like, how can you dress like this at church? <laughs> and that feedback from time to time. And it's like, you know what? Because I'm sick of being somebody else. I've made a, an absolute 
to commitment to become me and embrace me. And I've got certain strengths. I know I can get in front of people and I can speak. And, and Nikki thinking that she has to be Sam is not fair on Nikki because Nikki can do things that I can't do. And she's packed with gifting and ability that I don't have. And so me trying to be Nikki or Nikki trying to be me is very, very broken. So often we've compared ourselves to other people and we've been a bit gutted about how God's wired us. How can you love others as you love yourself if you don't love how God's wired you? The journey of our life is to discover how God's wired us and to celebrate it because you're fearfully and wonderfully and intentionally being made. No one else can do what you can do. And, it, and it's really freeing when you can actually state what you can't do as well as where you know your sweet spot is. And that's why I think um, Enneagram stuff's helpful. StrengthsFinder stuff is helpful. Myers-Briggs stuff is helpful. You know, honest, trying different things and then being honest about the fact that you weren't good at that, but you were good at this. And all of that brings so much freedom, especially when you get to the point where you're, not, you're so free you can talk about it with others. I know that I can, I know I can get up and communicate. I know I can get up and cast vision. But I tell you what, tell me to organize anything and it's gonna be a shambles. And I used to feel so guilty about that. I used to, I had to go, again, I had to go to StrengthsFinder coaching and all this sort of stuff to help me work with my team well because I was feeling guilty about giving them jobs that I wasn't good at and that they were. Because mm, I just wasn't self-aware enough. Anyway. People that are deeply in tune with their own emotional world and able to enter into the feelings, needs, and concerns of others without losing themselves. What a great way of phrasing it. You know, the way of loving others is to be very present with what they're feeling and to feel it yourself. You know, the, uh, the Bible says we rejoice with those who rejoice and we mourn with those who mourn. And the interesting thing as a pastor sometimes is that you can go through a day and have those extremes. You can go visit the new mum who's just had a baby and then go visit the, the, the person who's just lost a loved one and, and it can be like, you know, and it's all of it's rich, all of it's beautiful and people can tell if you're emotionally engaged with them in those spaces. But here's the thing, we don't lose ourselves in them because it's pride and I've had to really work on this as a pastor, it's pride if I carry those emotions disproportionately. If I start carrying them like I'm God. Oh no, if I don't feel this, you know, for some reason I'm not going to be able to help them, even though I'm not with them. Like there's a certain point if you're not, if I'm with like Paul and, and, and we have big heart to heart and I engage fully and I'm fully present to where he's at. And, and he can feel it, and I just, and he can see it in my eyes. That I'm, and then when I leave Paul, it's now between God and Paul to continue that journey, not Paul and Sam. I'm not omnipresent, God is. And so I have to learn mentally to go, okay, I've engaged fully with him, and now as I leave Paul, it's my job to engage fully with my family or with my wife or to sit with Jesus and probably just change gears a bit from that moment. And so I don't lose myself and, and constantly. And I, what happens sometimes is we go to two extremes. We can either be so present with people that we burn out and we get compassion fatigue and we just don't have any gas. We, can't, we struggle to love others because we've just given ourselves too much. Much, or we can detach too much from others. And maybe because of the pain in our history or whatever it may be, it's like it's very difficult for us to be fully present and engage with people. And, and there's a middle line here where we're called to be present but not carry. And, uh, and it's a skill that we can all learn because we, and, and we're called to learn because that's what Jesus did. And we're called to love others. 
as God as we choose to seek to love ourselves and love, uh, love God. Lastly, to have a capacity to resolve conflict maturely and to negotiate solutions that consider the perspectives of others. Can you put yourself in another person's shoes as they talk about a different perspective? And this, again, is, is, is maturity. So, a couple of things as we come into land. We'll see how we go here. Our goal is that we would be mature and that we could consistently love people rather than sporadically love people. That we would have a rhythm where we love people. As I started the sermon, I talked about those moments of great clarity. It's crazy how quickly we can lose that clarity and we get sucked back into the vortex of our culture's values and it can be all go, go, go. And we, when we stop and again in those moments of clarity, we realise, oh no, I'm not living a life of love. I'm living a life for myself or I'm living a life to consume or I'm living a life thinking if I just get that promotion or that income or that, then I can chill out and it ne- you never quite get there. We want to be people who live a life of love. You're all going to die. Be encouraged. You're all going to die. You, you're all, what is this? You're all going to die. I pray that when we lie there on our deathbed, we can look back on our lives and say, I lived a life of love. I lived a life that really mattered. You know, you were born with nothing, you're going to die with nothing. All of that status, all of that money, all of that prestige, all of the influence in your job, all it means nothing in those moments. What matters is love. And so we want to be people that can grow into places where we can consistently love others. What helps us are the journeys that we're doing, this emotionally healthy journey that we've been doing. Um, the, a question I got asked a, a little while ago, I, got, I, I read this somewhere, and it was one of those like, oh, no, don't ask me that question. It was, it, was, it was this. Would you like yourself if you met you at a party? I was like, oh, no. Yeah, right? It's like, if you met you at a party or some sort of social gathering, would you like you? Oh, no. I was like, don't ask me that. What a horrific thing. I hate parties immediately. I'm like, this is not a great place for me. Like, I'm not great on these bigger things. I'm more introverted. So probably not. I think I was a bit aloof and distant or whatever. And so, I was just kind of, so I'm like, can we reframe that to would I like me if I was sitting across the table, you know, in some coffee shop? Then I'm like, I might like me. But even then I talk too much. Oh, man, I've got to dial that back because I can't help but preach at everyone I catch up with. Many of you will know what you mean. Have experienced that. Um, would you be interested in you? Would you feel heard by you? I heard this um, line once where someone, and again, this is conviction sandwiches for me, but it's like most people aren't listening. They're waiting for their turn to talk. Uh, I want to be a person who, who loves well. You know who's really good at asking great questions? It's Ryan Carsmaker. He's amazing. You hang out with Ryan, he's a guy I want to be like a whole lot more. And he's always like really fascinated by your world. And it makes you feel so loved. He wants to know about your job and about your... I've let the kid out of the bag now. Everyone be like, stop it, Ryan. But it's just so lovely. It just It's such a lovely skill to have to be fascinated by another person and to ask questions that don't presume anything but just want to draw out the golden people and to hear their stories story. Jesus, I think, did that a lot. I think he did that really well, where he was just fascinated with people. I just finished with this thought. Um, it says in John 1 verse 14, it says, the word became flesh, this is Jesus, and dwelt and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
And then to drive the point home a few verses later, John proclaims, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. I just want to quickly uh, just finish with this thought. Uh, There's this little matrix here um, around grace and truth, uh, which is very interesting to think about when it comes to how we relate to others. Um, Jesus was filled with grace and truth. But the interesting thing in our culture is that often we can place ourselves in different parts of that matrix. Um, We can have low truth and low grace. We can place ourselves down here where we do not care for people and we don't even, we can't be bothered telling the truth, right? And it's like total checkout in terms of any caring or compassion for people. We withhold power for self and uh, we just don't care about people. What a horrible place to be. Uh, Most of the time we, we live in these other two dynamics often where we may have high grace and low truth. That seems to be a big part of our culture where we celebrate everything if it's good for you and there's low truth. Facebook's often really discouraging with this where it's like, uh, amongst our millennials, and then you get a bit older and it's just completely toxic in the other way. But sometimes, you know, people are like, oh, you're dating that guy who we all know is a dropkick in inverted commas, but no one says that. Yay, I'm really happy that you're happy, you know? And it's like, sometimes I used to watch my youth group's Facebook comments, you know, and stalk around as a pastor on Facebook, and I'd be like, oh, why are you encouraging that behavior? I thought, you know, and it's like real high grace, like, oh, I love it. Low truth, though. Uh, And then we can have this other dynamic, a high truth and low grace. And that's where we can overpower others and it can be all about going and swinging and it's a justice issue and it's not right, so we've got to address that. Real easy to do on social media, but even sometimes face-to-face people can care more about the truth than they do about the person. They cannot be aware of where that person may be at and go in there. The beauty about Jesus, and he invites us into this, is that we'll be a people full of high grace and high truth. And this empowers others. It believes in the best for others. Uh, And I would just like to leave us with that little thought. Let's be a people filled with grace and truth as we seek to imitate Jesus. Uh, And the Kiwi culture thing and in these groups and stuff, that that can be tricky. Uh, because it's like, you know, again, we're not trying to fix people, but we're trying to be deeply truthful about where we're at and, 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 and the way forward for folks and all that sort of thing. Uh, but I just, I love the thought that we're called to be a people of, of grace and truth. I land, land with this. Um, before we started the church, we moved here to the bay, and this has been the biggest step of faith we've ever taken in our lives, and I speak for the Buxtons and Domingans and Keegan and all that who've, who followed us crazily up here. And for many of you guys, probably a similar experience as he joined us in the early days for some of our launch team, where we started the church and it was like, uh, but, but for me personally, I'd never planted a church before. So it wasn't like I knew how to do this thing. <laughs> and then thankfully we got trained up and God continued to open doors and it's amazing to see where we're at. But I felt super overwhelmed before we started the church because I was like, how do we do this? Like, we literally didn't know anyone in the bay. Like, we didn't know anyone. <laughs> Do you know how scary that is? Turn up, all right, we're going to plant a church. And like, and then I didn't want to get anyone from other churches, and you've all heard me talk about that for a long time, and it's like, and I really had to work through that component. Uh, and I don't know how to do this. And I went on this retreat uh, with, um, it was a uh, worship leaders retreat. 
So it was in Taupo, so I went over there and, uh, and was in this space of just going, we hadn't even really started anything yet, and I was just looking at this mountain ahead of me, just going, I don't know how we're, we're going to do this. I was super overwhelmed. So they asked me to share about how I was doing, to pray for me, and so I said that, I said, I'm feeling overwhelmed, I don't know what to do, um, a little bit scared. And also, everything was on the line, because I'm like, financially, we're kind of all in. Um, I haven't trained in any other thing. So I have, you know, I've got one bow to my string. You know how you're not meant to have one bow to your string? You're meant to have another string there in your bow so that you can, like, fall, something to fall back on. I've got nothing to fall back on but pack and save or something, you know? So I've got nothing there. So I was like, I'm kind of all in, and I've got a mortgage and kids, and there's a whole other level. So I'm freaking out a little bit here. Um, it's all coming back to me. It's, my <laughs> it's like an emotionally healthy spirituality group moment right now for us all. There's, ooh, flashbacks. Um, and so they prayed for me, and, and I got a word that completely just set me free, where um, this person said, your job is to love the person that's in front of you. Nothing more, nothing less. <sighs> Still a bit of a stretch, but I think I can do that. Not worry about how the heck we do this thing, and how we change the bay, and how we build a church, blah, blah, blah. Actually, when it boils down to it, my job was to love the person that's in front of me. And the more that I've thought about that, I thought, what a fantastic description of the Christian calling. No matter where we're at, what we're going through, our job is to love the person that's in front of us. That's the job. That's the Christian calling. And what a beautiful life. What a great reputation to have. That person loved the person that was in front of them. And that may be for a brief moment. That may be for a deeping meaningful. But ultimately, we are called to be a people that love the person that's in front of us. So harking back to the beginning, what are the most important things that we can do in life? What are the greatest priorities? We love God with everything that we have. That our diaries reflect it. Our days reflect that He's the greatest priority for us. That we would also love God out of that communion with Him. We would love God, love others as we love ourselves. We would come to a greater peace about how we're wired, who we are, and that as we love ourselves, what a lovely thought, that out of that beautiful dynamic that we would have a capacity to love the person that's in front of us. Let's stand together and invite the Spirit of God just to fill us afresh with him.